Uh, well, Pastor Allen forgot to mention uh, one announcement. Uh, you know we have a uh, lost and found here, of course, at family camp with all sorts of fun and interesting things that are uh, found. Uh, but apparently a, uh, a telescope showed up in the uh, lost and found box. And so um, we don't know who it belongs to, but rest assured we're looking into it. Okay, so. Um, hey, there we go. Hey, it worked. See, it worked, dear. She wasn't sure that would work, but. So, um, so my name is uh, Peter Mulker, and my wife is Lisa, and uh, we've been blessed with eight children, and so six of them are here at uh, camp, and uh, as was mentioned, I'm the pastor at Sovereign Grace. Uh, we love coming to family camp. Um, we came to California in 2016 and have been to family camp each year. Uh, before that, we were in New Zealand and went to family camp every year there. Uh, and just a great blessing. And we love family camp because um, we love the people here because who else uh, spends a, a week of their vacation and says, boy, I'd like to hear 10 or 12 messages from the Bible, right? That's, that's, those are unique people. Uh, and uh, I want to sing praises to the Lord in the morning uh, and, at, and at night. And so what a, what a great blessing. Now, I'm speaking last of the three speakers, so I thought it would be a good idea just to make sure that uh, we have been listening uh, to, our, uh, former, or to our former speakers in their talks, just to make sure your ears are uh, being attentive. And so I have some skill testing questions here for you from our speakers' earlier uh, presentations, and there are, there are gifts involved, so, so you want to pay attention. So uh, this is for a question for the singles among us from uh, Pastor Cotta's uh, talks. Uh, what video platform uh, did Pastor Cotta say singles should not waste their time spending hours and hours with? Oh, I see a hand back there with the hoodie. No, Joe. Xbox, that's right. Okay. Um, you, can, you, can come, you can come get that now or you can pick it up later as well. Good job. All right, that's a devotional from John Calvin. All right. And for... Uh, this is a question that only uh, grandparents can answer. Uh, this is a book um, uh, by Star Mead. It's a devotional that grandparents can use with their, with their grandchildren. And uh, this is for grandparents. Um, let's see here. Uh, what, here's a question again for, about Pastor Cotta's uh, talk. What special activity, now this is multiple choice, so don't answer yet, but what special activity uh, is Pastor Cotta offering after our evening sessions? Uh, hold on, it's a multiple choice. Uh, is it uh, Canadian log rolling, uh, Scottish bagpiping, Japanese sumo wrestling, or other? Uh, you had to raise your hand. Vicky. Jiu-jitsu, that's right. So you can come get that, Vicky, if you like. Very good. You There's no challenging the chair. Sorry. Did I not mention you had to raise your hand? Sorry. Yeah, you do. You, oh, okay. Very, there'll be more opportunity. Don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, well, I've been uh, given the um, the task to kind of move from. We've been talking a lot about relationships in the Christian family, and of course, with the husband and wife, and thinking about dating and uh, parenting last night. So the three talks that I've been given today kind of move in a little different direction about Christian family uh, living and uh, how we live together. 
uh, and our callings in life. And our, tonight we'll talk about our witness to the world as Christian families as well. But let's pray together and then we're going to turn in our scripture uh, to Colossians chapter 3. So let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be able to be here at camp. We're thankful, Lord, that in this place this week we can uh, indeed, Lord, take a, uh, a rest from uh, the work you've given to us, Lord, and to give our mind and heart to, to you and to your word and to your people, to encouraging one another, to fellowship together, uh, but Lord, also to hear from you, from your word, that we would be encouraged uh, strengthened in our faith, uh, that as we return home, uh, Lord, that uh, we would go in the strength uh, and encouragement uh, of the Lord. And so help us uh, today, uh, help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so uh, this morning, our first uh, talk is going to be thinking together about Christian family living uh, in the area of work uh, and play. And uh, so if you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, uh, we're going to be reading verses 12 through 24. I encourage you to have your Bible uh, and to keep that open uh, for our time this morning. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, we heard a little bit from the beginning of Colossians 3 uh, earlier in the week, the wonderful truth about who we are uh, in Christ and that we're called to set our minds on things above, uh, not on earthly uh, things And as that passage goes along, uh, we are given specific encouragement in how to live as the people of God. And so we read at verse 12. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy, beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. This is God's uh, gracious word to us. So this morning what uh, I thought we would do first of all is to think uh, together about the worst job or the worst uh, work, the worst calling that you've ever been, uh, been called to, that you've ever experienced. Uh, so think about that this morning. What's the worst thing that uh, you have uh, ever been called to do or to work at? Uh, or the worst job you've ever had. I, in my life, in the uh, years ago, 
I was a gas station attendant. I was a baker uh, at a, well, kind of a baker at a donut shop. Uh, for a time, I was a cook at uh, Wendy's restaurant. I was a freight handler. Uh, I was a field hand at a tree nursery. And probably the worst job I ever had was working at that tree nursery. Uh, it was a summer job I had in college, and uh, my work for that summer was to hoe the fields and to walk up and down these long, uh, interminable rows of trees that were growing and to hoe around those uh, trees up and down. But one day I thought I had it made because the, the boss gave me a different um, job to do. Uh, I could drive the company pickup truck and uh, I would drive uh, a, a group of about 10 men around from field to field uh, on our assignments and uh, I thought this was going to be great. I was going to love this. And so after my first week, uh, late Friday afternoon, the, work is, uh, the week is done. I'm uh, driving this pickup truck with these 10 men on the back, back into the, uh, uh, back into the nursery yard, and um, I'm pulling in um, into a space, cars on either side. And as I'm about to pull in, I hear, nothing, I hear abs uh, all sorts of laughter uh, coming from the men in the back of the pickup truck. And I don't know what's going on. I just go on with my uh, driving in uh, to the spot, and then... Uh, uh, and, and I hear them yelling and shouting, and I don't know what's going on until I hear this loud screech. And, um, and I look in my rearview mirror, and uh, lo and behold, I'd forgotten that the pickup truck that I was called to uh, drive was uh, a dual-wheel truck. That You know those? They stick out like a foot or two more on both sides in the back of the, the vehicle, and so lo and behold, I had pulled into this spot uh, meant for a normal pickup truck and had completely uh, destroyed the left side of my boss's truck. These trucks are probably, I don't know what, how much they cost, but it wasn't good. And everybody, of course, there is in the lunchroom and they're all hearing and, and seeing, and so I had to go in and, and talk to my boss about what happened. And um, uh, that, was a, that was a bad day at work and uh, thinking, what am I doing? Uh, have you ever wanted to get away from your work, for instance, to come to camp, right, and to find rest and uh, recreation to lay aside your work? But what's the worst job ever? Uh, what's the worst work that you could imagine being given uh, as a teenager by your parents um, or as an adult? Uh, the worst work you'd be called to for a year, perhaps, after year. Well, how about a job with no pay? How about a job where you're called to labor, but there's no pay? How about a job where uh, your boss could uh, demand of you anything that he wanted, and, uh, and the government wouldn't say a thing about it, uh, and you were under their complete authority? How, how about a job that wasn't 8 to uh, 4, or 9 to 5, or even 7 to 7, uh, but was 24-7? Uh, always at work. Now, Colossians 3 actually describes one such job, uh, the job of a slave in the Roman Empire. What was it like for a Roman slave? Uh, writes one author, many Roman slaves worked on farms and mines and other types of industry where life expectancy was typically short Roman slaves were shackled, flogged, branded, and maimed, and sexual abuse was not uncommon. 
Life was horrible for most Roman slaves, and their names are long forgotten. Uh, you know the Apostle Paul, uh, over in 1 Corinthians 7, says something uh, to those who are slaves. He said this, Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it, but if you're able also to become free, rather do that. For he who is called, who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. And so you know that passage where Paul says, if you are able to be free, rather uh, do that. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, if you are a slave, how does the Bible address them in the Roman Empire? Uh, it addresses them this way. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now, this is amazing. Uh, so the Bible here uses the word slave. It's the word doulos. Uh, it says, in all things obey. That means to, in all things, uh, hear, as it were, a voice from above. Uh, this is your, your a master speaking. And you sit under that word and you receive it. Uh, in obedience, not with external service, that is, not with uh, a view to serving the eye or being an eye pleaser, so not just doing your, um, your, your service uh, to please men when they're watching you, uh, but as to the Lord, with sincerity, that means singleness of heart, it means with clearness of heart, uh, fearing, reverencing, thinking about, uh, having thoughts of God uh, always in your mind. And... Uh, that's what they're called to. All things obey, not some things, with sincerity of heart, not simply wanting to look good, fearing the Lord, not merely pleasing men. And verse 23 says you do that work heartily. Uh, means from your heart or soul. It's the word suhe. Um, so here's the thing, though. The Bible says the reason that they are called to work heartily uh, from the soul is because of who they are working for. It is, the Apostle Paul says, uh, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now this should be, uh, this should strike us, this should be amazing to us uh, that a slave in the Roman Empire, according to the Apostle Paul, as a Christian, in that position, in that calling, uh, was serving Christ, was serving the Lord, whatever the work, whatever the calling, minister, uh, mother, uh, mathematician, pilot, personal accountant or pet shop owner, uh, nurse, uh, nanny, night watchman, baker, brother, bank manager, whatever the Bible says you do. Uh, work uh, can be defined as putting forth uh, productive energy and effort, uh, often under obligation. That's what we think about work, right? Where you, uh, you got to expend energy, uh, you got to expend effort, and, uh, and you're doing something productive. Uh, that's what we think about when we think of 
of work. And uh, whether we're doing the worst work, the hardest work, uh, even if we think it's the, the most menial, the least appreciated, the most insignificant, um, whatever you do, uh, the Bible says as a Christian, you do not work, first of all, for your own pleasure, your family's pleasure, your boss's pleasure, or anyone else's pleasure, but God, whatever uh, you do. Uh, what did, uh, in, in the time of the Apostle Paul, what did people think about work? Well, for the Greeks, like uh, Plato and Aristotle, uh, work was demeaning. In fact, it was only fit for slaves. Uh, they did the work. Um, for a good part of the early church, uh, early church history, you might know, of course, that uh, in the early church, the higher spiritual life was seen as the kind of life that was the contemplative life, uh, the life of the mind, right? Rather than uh, act the active life or physical work. But we need to remember passages, for instance, like Exodus 31.1, where the Bible says this, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, uh, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. I have filled this man, God says, with all kinds of craftsmanship. We need to remember Exodus 36.1. Now Bezalel and Aholiab, and every skilled person in whom the Lord, listen to what the Bible says, in whom the Lord has put skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary. Uh, and so here in the Bible, the Holy Spirit makes a craftsman. The, whole, the Lord puts skill and understanding into us that we might work. So all these things are from the Lord uh, as well. So a very different view in the Bible of our work than uh, uh, the culture around we're given abilities, we're given gifts, we're given skills um, to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord you serve. So if that's true, that whatever we do, uh, we do that in service of Christ, we need to ask then about our work some questions. We need to ask about whatever we're doing. Uh, does this please God? Does this please God? Um, if my work, as the Bible says, is service to Christ, am I working in such a way that Jesus would be pleased? Because I'm actually serving him. Uh, not myself, not my family, not my boss. Now, when you and I, um, and even here at camp, I think I've done it a couple times too, when you first meet someone, uh, what is often the very first thing that you ask them? What is it that you do, right? What is it that you do? And often you're here at camp, you, you might think, well, your work's not very that important. So sometimes someone might ask you, well, what do you do? You might say to them, well, you know, I'm just a pastor. Um, I'm, just a, I'm just a mother. Uh, I just bake bread. I, I just run a gas station. You know, I'm just a mechanic. Um, uh, we must never say that. We must never, ever say that, that I am just a mother that I am just a mechanic, or anything else. Why is that? Uh, because according to the scripture, uh, no work by a Christian is just anything. The work of a Christian is always service of Christ. You see, all work, 
is filled with meaning and purpose no matter what it is. Now, um, a good way to test yourself about this, what do you think about your own work is this, how you think about your own work. How many of you, don't raise hands here, um, uh, how many of you would quit working uh, if you found out when you get home from camp that you have just inherited uh, $10 million? Think about that. You get home, uh, oh, and maybe it's one of those sweepstakes things in the mail, um, but this time it's real. You have just won, when you get home, $10 million. Um, would you quit work? Um, your answer to that question will reveal why you work. Why you work. Dan Doriani is a professor at Covenant Theological Seminary. You may have heard his name before. He's just written a book called Work. Its Purpose dignity and transformation. In it, he, he offers some good questions we should ask about our work, whatever it may be. All under the idea that if we are serving Christ, of course, the two greatest commandments apply to our work um, and our play, for that matter. Uh, that is, we're called to love God and to love our neighbor in whatever we do. And so he gives these kind of questions uh, to think to ask about your work. Does my job advance the common good? Is it for the good, actually, of my neighbor? Do I help people or exploit them? Am I glad to tell people what I do, or am I kind of ashamed to speak of what I do? Um, do I please the Lord as I earn my bread? That's a good question to ask. Or, or do I merely earn my bread? Uh, can I joyfully present my work to the Lord, right? Because work is service to the Lord, so it's as it were an offering. I say, Lord, this is what I've done today. And, um, and, I, and I pray that it, it pleases you. Can I do that? If we can't answer these questions, says uh, Doriani, properly and with a clear conscience, we should probably seek different work. If what we're doing cannot be presented to the Lord as an offering that way, or if we have the right position, he says, we could try to reform our organization. To say it another way, he says, too much Christian instruction on work urges disciples to be faithful in the work assigned to them. Not enough consider, uh, should we do this work? Should we do this work? Uh, work, according to the scripture and according to Colossians 3, is not merely about earning a living while avoiding sin. You know, to just get a job where you're not called to kill anybody uh, <laughs> or, to, or to rob anybody. No, it's not just avoiding sin. The Bible says that your work is positively to be service of Christ, and some work simply should not be done. Think about that. Should a munitions worker uh, in the 1940s in Hitler's Germany, uh, should he have labored with excellence in that munitions work? Should a prostitute or a gambler uh, or a producer of internet pornography or dehumanizing and violent video games, slave traders, should they work to the glory of God in their position? Uh, well, to do so, right, would mean to quit that work. That's what it would mean to work to the glory of God, to quit that work. Why do we need to ask such questions about our work, even if the uh, work we're thinking about is the worst job ever? Because we have secondly, according to Colossians 3, the greatest calling imaginable. Every one of us here this morning as Christians has the greatest calling 
imaginable. Did you catch what Colossians 3 said? Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Verse 24, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Uh, if you could, if you want to turn over with me in the, in the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, another very important passage when it comes to uh, what we do in work or play as those who profess faith in Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, I'll start reading at verse 23. Uh, the Apostle Paul, again here speaking to the Corinthian church. Uh, this is in the, in the context of uh, disputes about how to understand um, food, sacrifice to idols, and so forth. And uh, this is what he says, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify, that is, build up. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that's sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that's set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone should say to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, and for conscience sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as also I am of Christ. So here we have another uh, similar phrase to Colossians 3, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The greatest calling imaginable when you think about work, play, whatever you do. Uh, the Bible says, uh, do it to the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. In everything, service of Christ. In everything, the glory of God. Servants. In fact, uh, Elsewhere, the Bible calls us slaves of righteousness. Uh, John MacArthur, uh, in a recent book, was thinking about this whole concept of Christians and all that they do, servants of Christ, servants of Christ, slaves of Christ. Uh, this is what he said. He said, we don't hear about that concept much in churches today. In contemporary Christianity, the language is anything but slave terminology. It's about success, health, wealth, prosperity, and the pursuit of happiness. We often hear that God loves people unconditionally and wants them to be all they want to be. He wants to fulfill every desire, hope, and dream. Personal ambition, personal fulfillment, personal gratification, these have all become part of the language of evangelical Christianity and part of what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Instead of teaching the New Testament gospel, where sinners are called to submit to Christ, the contemporary message is exactly the opposite. Jesus is here to fulfill all your wishes. Likening him to a personal assistant or a personal trainer. Many churchgoers speak of a personal Savior who's eager to do their bidding 
and help them in their quest for self-satisfaction or individual accomplishment. True Christianity, he says, is not about adding Jesus to my life. Instead, it's about devoting myself completely to him in his name and for the glory of God and service of Christ. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. Devoted to him at work or play, whatever you do. Now, in a recent uh, article in uh, Ordained Servant, our uh, office bearer uh, periodical in the OPC, uh, Leland Riken, uh, emeritus professor at Wheaton College, uh, he defined uh, the word leisure uh, or play uh, according to its Latin and Greek roots. I know that sounds like an exciting article, doesn't it? But uh, no, it is helpful. It is helpful. And, um, and this is what he says. In Latin, you know, the idea of play or leisure its root has the idea of being allowed or being lawful. Uh, that is, what we do for leisure or play, we do not do because we are under obligation to do, but because we have the freedom to do. And so you're obligated to go to the factory and uh, fulfill your calling and your job. You're obligated to care for your children. Uh, you're obligated to obey your parents. Um, you have the freedom to watch sports on television. Uh, you have the freedom uh, here at camp to sit around for, for three hours in the, in, in the dining room and talk to whoever you like. Uh, you've got the freedom to do that. Uh, you have the freedom to, uh, this morning, you had the freedom to go up to Strawberry Peak. Thankfully, none of us had the obligation to do that. Or at least, thankfully, I didn't have the obligation to do that. I wouldn't have made it. Uh, we had the freedom uh, to do that, leisure uh, to do that. Um, uh, in Greek, he says, the root has the connotation of to halt or cease. That is what we do for leisure or play is what we do when we call a halt to work. That is doing things under obligation. Um, and then he says there's a number of reasons why Christians have that, that calling uh, to have time of leisure and play. He says, by God's own example at creation, God's design for the human race is not nonstop work. It's not nonstop creation and recreation of things, and shaping, and molding, and no, uh, by God's own example, uh, our life is not nonstop work. Uh, he says, Jesus did not reduce life to endless work and evangelism. There were times, and aren't we glad that we read in the New Testament about Jesus uh, finding times to be alone, uh, and to pray, uh, to be alone, and to rest, and that he commanded his disciples to do that too. Let's, let's come away for a while and to rest. Uh, says, right in the fourth commandment calls us to not work. One day in seven, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but, right, but, there's a seventh. Um, and he says, because we're creatures, our mental, physical, emotional well-being require that we rest and refresh ourselves and take breaks from work. We are creatures. We are weak and we tire. And so we need those times of rest and leisure uh, and play. Now, usually when we think about these two things together, work and play, I think the Bible kind of uh, tells us that we all kind of fall into one or two categories. Uh, Proverbs describes them both. Uh, first, there is the lazy man who's described in Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 26. Remember that in Proverbs 26? He's the sluggard who... Um, you know, turns over on his bed like a, like a hinge on a door, and he, uh, he puts his hand into the dish, 
uh, but he, he can't expend the effort. He can't expend the work, right, to get his hand back, right? Think of that picture, right? You're at the buffet, and you go into the, into the macaroni salad, and you just, oh, I can't bring it back, <laughs> right? That's the, uh, that's the image, the lazy uh, man. Uh, that's the kind of person that their work uh, is really just to supply them uh, with, with money and fuel uh, to do what they want on the weekend. They live for leisure. They live for rest. Work is just uh, uh, an evil uh, necessity in their life. And uh, to them, heaven is sitting on the beach, uh, collecting seashells and sipping iced tea uh, to this person. And then, of course, there's the workaholic. The book of Proverbs speaks about this man, too. Ecclesiastes, even better, Ecclesiastes 2. Uh, talks about the person who pursues work, more and more work, more and more work, uh, but never satisfied. Um, this is the person that uh, thinks that God's cause will fail unless I am at my post. And um, if it's going to get done, right? You've said this to yourself. If it's going to get done, I must do it. I must do it. Uh, heaven to this person is endless cultivating of the garden, having an office in heaven with a pile of heavenly projects uh, ready to go. And, um, and the thought of rest is just is unimaginable. What a waste of time when you could be working and laboring. Work and play. Now here's the thing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable or edifying, but all things, that is, whatever you do, work and play, work and rest, all things are to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus and to the glory of God. Now, you notice that as Paul's talking about that, if you have your Bible open there, I invite you to turn back to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23 and 24, where Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but all, all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, uh, but that of his neighbor. And so this is in the context of whatever we do. And Paul's saying here that when it comes to your freedom, when it comes to my freedom, uh, work or play, even there, uh, the Bible says to us that even though these things are lawful, not everything I do in my leisure or play or whatever it might be is edifying. Not anything I do is necessarily going to build up my neighbor or is necessarily to the glory of God. We serve our neighbor in our work and we rest so we can better serve others. You see, work and play Whatever we do, in the name of Jesus, to the glory of God, and also with a view to our neighbor. Now, friends, this is why uh, our view of work and play as Christians is so radically different uh, from the way the world around us sees work and play. We don't work and play to serve ourselves, the Bible says. We work and play uh, to serve, ultimately, others and ultimately to bring glory to the Lord. And uh, it's in this context here, right, of, uh, of uh, edifying our neighbor that we have that wonderful verse that uh, throughout the history of the church is so, so important to us that whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all 
to the glory of God. Now, friends, that means at least this. There is nothing you do as a professing Christian, work or play, that is exempt from these commands. Whatever you do, whatever I do, um, there is no work or play uh, that uh, somehow falls outside of that. That is not to be in service of Christ or to the glory of God. Whatever you do, uh, even a slave in the Roman Empire, when he uh, worked or when she worked and when she labored as a Christian, was thinking, I'm here to somehow bring glory to the Lord. I'm here somehow in how I work faithfully, diligently, with a view to uh, building good things for my neighbor, whatever it might be. I'm here that God would somehow be honored through my work. And that means that, yes, there is such a thing uh, as a Christian plumber and a non-Christian plumber. There is such a thing as Christian education and non-Christian education. There are those who think that they are being very clever when they say, well, is there really a difference between a Christian math teacher and a non-Christian math teacher? And the Bible says, yes, there is. One is doing everything in the name of Jesus Christ and to the glory of God. And the other has no thoughts of God or no thoughts of Christ. Uh, one is doing good work in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. And one seems to be doing work that is good, but it is not. Now, why can we say that? Well, because of what we confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 16, paragraph 7 says this, Works done by unregenerate men, although for the matter of them they may be things which God commands and of good use, both to themselves and others, uh, non-Christians make cars on the assembly line. Yet, we believe, because they proceed not from an heart purified by faith, nor are done in a right manner according to the word, nor to a right end, the glory of God, they are therefore sinful and cannot please God. You see, there's a difference between your work as a Christian, as a, as a young person growing up in the home. Yes, you taking out the, uh, the garbage for your parents. You do that in the name of Jesus to the glory of God. You do it cheerfully. You do it humbly. Uh, you do it with a view to pleasing God and being a blessing to your neighbor, being a blessing to your, your family uh, in all things. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So we serve, we work, we play, asking, am I doing this in good conscience and in faith, according to the word, and am I seeking the glory of God in it? Martin Luther King was on the right track uh, when he said this, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry, he should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper. All right? And that's Martin Luther King. How much more so a Christian? Here lived a, a Christian uh, street sweeper. Oh boy, they 
They served. They worked for Christ. And so they gave their all. Not only when men were looking at them, but from the heart, heartily, uh, as to the Lord. Uh, but these passages say more about our work and play. We've got a little time here. Um, uh, says a little more. The goal's clear in Colossians 3, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever we do, serving Christ, whatever the calling to the glory of God, but no less clear in these passages is the manner of our work and our play. That is, how we go about our work in service of Christ and to the glory of God, whether we're a parent, a child, uh, wherever we're called to work. I wonder if you, if you caught it there. Um, in 1 Corinthians 10, 30, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about how he's eating. Uh, he's able to, eat, uh, able, able to eat food. He knows that uh, food offered to, uh, to idols is nothing. Idols are nothing if uh, the person he's eating with believes that this idol is real. Paul says, don't eat that. Don't participate in that because then that, that person thinks that somehow you are recognizing this idol. But you can buy stuff from the market that's, that's made by, sold by non-Christians and, all, and you eat it. And how does he do that? Well, notice what he says. If I partake with thankfulness, uh, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? So remember, so then he says, you know, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. And so what does he say about his own eating and drinking? Well, he's saying when he eats and drinks, what's characterizing his heart is thankfulness uh, to God. Colossians 3, I wonder if you noticed there, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, uh, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Yeah, now you caught it there, right? Be thankful, sing with thanksgiving, eat with thanksgiving, uh, whatever you do, thanksgiving. Right? Now, whatever you do, be thankful. You know, walking, working, serving, making a meal, eating a meal, caring for children, doing what your parents ask you to do, whatever you're doing, thankfulness characterizes your life. We are to be the most thankful people as we work and play, the most thankful people possible because we are serving Christ. My parents were teenagers during World War II, and uh, they would tell stories of how thankful they were uh, for a meal of boiled tulip bulb soup. You ever had that? I don't think that's ever been served in our here there. Boiled tulip bulb soup. And uh, they would tell us as children how thankful they were for that because that was the only food they had, and, um, and they were thankful. Uh, we, of course, in our day, we've got buffets of food spilling over, and we're still not satisfied, and we're often looking for uh, the food that's not there. And, in fact, sometimes we're looking for a special meal created just for ourselves, um, despite all the food that's there. And, and even if there's ten kinds of bread, um, no... No, I'm not into any of those. Or ten kinds of, well, there's not ten kinds of roast beef, but, um, you know what I mean? Where the, the, 
Uh, and we're still not thankful uh, for all that. Would you agree with me that there's potentially nothing more ugly than unthankfulness? When uh, the Bible says, whatever you do, work and play, thankfulness, would you agree that there's nothing more ugly than unthankfulness? I've told my kids this story before, but um, my mother, when she was alive, she loved to knit knit things for the grandchildren. She had 35-plus grandchildren. She'd knit hats and scarves and socks and slippers. Uh, each one a gift of, uh, of love, expression of love. And I was with her one time when she had uh, created, had a gift wrapped up uh, for a four- or five-year-old niece of mine. And uh, the niece gets this wrapped-up gift, and uh, she's opening it with this great anticipatory smile of what her grandmother got her. And, uh, and, she, uh, and she opens that, that gift, and she proceeds to burst into tears. Uh, she, just, she just started a ball. And, um, and, she, and she ran to her mother, uh, my sister, and, and said, I didn't want this. <laughs> uh, how do you think uh, you know, her grandmother felt? I don't think any one of us here, I don't think, would blame my mother for grabbing that little girl and taking her over her knee and giving her a good spanking. But she didn't. She graciously endured the tears of ingratitude. Unthankfulness is a serious matter in whatever we do. A few months ago, an article appeared in Men's Health magazine. I don't read it regularly. Don't think I do. Uh, Why saying thank you is good for you. Learn to be more grateful, says Dan Harris. Your brain will thank you for it. We're living, he says, in an era, think if you, does this make sense? Does this sound right? We're living in an era of increasing unhappiness. Diagnosis, he says, of major depression in the United States went up 33%. That's a third. From, he says, 2013 to 2016, in three years, loneliness abounds. Anxiety affects 8% of children and teens. Hospitalizations for child suicide ideation, that means children thinking about suicide, or attempted suicide, rose, he says, for all age groups, listen to what he says, including uh, 5 to 11-year-olds between 2008 and 2015. And uh, so he talks about how he went to a junior high school in Illinois where they're trying to combat it, they're trying to do something about it. And he says, well, what's their tactic? How are they going to address that? He says, gratitude. Done correctly, he says, gratitude is radically simple. It's the deliberate attempt to not take the many good things in your life for granted. What's more, science suggests gratitude's linked to better mental health. And so he, uh, he went to put this in, in uh, action in this school, and this is what he suggested. If for just two minutes a day we got someone to think of three things that they're grateful for, uh, or if we expressed our gratitude once over the course of the day to somebody else, he says we train our brain to become more optimistic and positive. He says these gratitude practices work by building new mental muscles that scan for the positive. Basically, this practice, he says, knocks, out our knocks us out of our default mode. Our brains, he says, evolved to have a pronounced negativity bias. Why? According to this man, he says, it's because early human life was precarious. We needed to be on the lookout for things like saber-toothed tigers. Now, I don't agree with that. But um, what he's saying there is we have this built-in thing to be uh, ungrateful for our work, for what we have, uh, for what we do for this camp, for the beds. <laughs> Did I say that? Oops. 
I'm going to say that out loud. Built in. Mmm. Wish I had a big cushy one. It's just built in. He said he attributes that, of course, to evolution. No, the Bible just says that's sin, and that's that's who we are. And what's the answer, friends? The Bible says the answer is thankfulness at work and play. And friends, the Bible's point is simply this: and whatever you do. It is the Lord Christ you are serving to the glory of God by his grace in your work and play, and it will be marked by gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord. Don't ever think that you are just this or, or just that or just called to this or just called to that. We have the greatest calling imaginable that in everything we do, we have an eye. Uh, to the glory, the wonder of Jesus, and the glory of God, and that we do it with thankfulness to him. May that be true of me, and may that be true of of you. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, uh, as we think about uh, living in this world as Christians and Christian families and the Christian church, oh Lord, how we pray that we would not be like the world in how we think of our work our leisure time, and even our rest. But Lord, that there too, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ would be the one we are serving. Lord, we're amazed that we can read um, the Scripture speak to those who, Lord, to us, and we're in, in a horrible position, a slave in the, in the Roman Empire. And yet, Lord, those Christians in that position knew that ultimately uh, they were there to serve Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, whoever we are today, mother, father, parent, child, sister, brother, whatever you've called us to do in work or play, to remember it is the Lord Christ we are serving. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.